Long time no talk, listeners, which feeds right into this episode on time. I'm Aluk Edwardson, and this is the Creative Decolonization Podcast. Decolonizing our own relationships with time is something we discussed on our last episode with Stas and Leander. Let's learn a little bit more about that during this episode because decolonizing your relationship with time is likely to bring you more peace and a deeper understanding of your needs. So how is time colonized in the first place? I appreciate this passage from Kay Pickering in their paper on decolonizing time regimes in Lakota communities. I definitely encourage you to read it. I'll link it in the notes. Quote, For an American, time is truly money. In a profit-oriented society, time is a precious, even scarce commodity. It flows fast like a mountain river in the spring, and if you want to benefit from its passing, you have to move fast with it. But that's how everyone looks at time, right? Nope, Pope. Time is much more than something we use to make money. It's a human creation designed to help us live in union with the seasonal changes around us. Time is the way we break down our experience into understandable chunks. We look to time to understand change. Without time, change is chaotic and unorganized. If you were raised in America, most of Northern Europe, Switzerland, Germany, the Netherlands, or Austria, you're probably used to living with a linear understanding of time. But the rest of the world lives in very different and diverse understandings of time. Researchers have developed terms to define the different ways we organize time that we have documented so far. Time is generally separated into three categories, linear, multi-active, and cyclical. Linear time can be, quote, conceived of as a ribbon or a road stretching from the past into the future. Within this rigid linear structure, one can only do one thing at a time as time itself flows swiftly past says C.G. Hellman in their 2005 report to the European Molecular Biology Organization. Interestingly, this linear time focus has something to do with Judeo-Christianity. Quote, according to linear time, with its sense of time beginning at the creatio ex nihilio, creation from nothing, and ending at the second coming or the coming of the Messiah. Time is conceived as being directional, advancing, and non-repetitive. You know, that works for some ways of being, but not all, and not me. I grew up in a multicultural community based on the shores of the Bering and Chukchi Seas in the Arctic. We were most concerned with honoring our ancestors and living in the present. Weather up there is extreme. Today I live within a mix of multi-active and cyclical time. More on that later. What is multi-active time anyway, and how is it different than linear time? This quote from a useful culturallymodified.org article says it well. The more things people who live in multi-active time can do at the same time, the happier and more fulfilled they feel. For them, completing a human transaction is the best way they can invest their time. I super feel this. I think many people with ADHD do. It's hard for me to do one thing for too long, or conversely, I can get lost in something for hours and forget to eat. I didn't know I had ADHD until I was 27. By that time, I'd already developed effective ways of focusing, managing hyperthought, and dealing with anxiety. Like doodling while listening to lectures. Not the only way, but one that stands out that worked for me. The doodle, on paper or my hand, allowed me to physically focus the hyperactivity 
which made it easier to listen to the lecture more effectively. In my family and school life, I was taught to value what was happening now rather than what was planned or expected. So being late, even to your own meeting, is fine if you're doing something else valuable, like hearing a story from an elder you may never hear again. Time in my home community is not like time anywhere else. The severe weather, 24-hour sunlight and 24-hour darkness, the changing animal migration patterns and isolation from the south all impact how people live with time up there. I don't think I ever thought or heard people talking about controlling time. You only have to sit through one fall blizzard in northern Alaska to realize how little control you have over time and how much of a mindset it is that anyone thinks they do. But then again, that's just me showing the cultural cards I was raised with regarding what time is to me. Okay, so linear time moves forward and looks at time as a commodity. Multi-active time looks at time more as a tool and values human relations over efficiency. Got it. What about cyclical time? Is that connected to seasonal understandings of how time passes? Yes, I like this quote from the same culturallymodified.org article. Each day the sun rises and sets, the seasons follow one another, the heavenly bodies revolve around us, people grow old and die, but their children reconstitute the process. We know this cycle has gone on for a hundred thousand years and more. Cyclical time is not a scarce commodity. There seems always to be an unlimited supply of it just around the next bend. I think I was born with feet spiritually rooted to the earth because my entire being changes as the season and energy change around me. It's pretty intense. The bright times bring great joy, meaningful connection, and deep purpose into my life. You know, the dark times bring soul-crushing depression, landmine-like anger, and life-ending thoughts. I remember the first year I felt heavy and sad during the winter. I was five. Ask my mom. I bet she remembers, too. It was a shitty Christmas. I'd been abused for a few years at that point, unbeknownst to all in my family. I was just a baby kid. I didn't know how to say anything. Yet at five, the seasonal changes started to take hold in my body. I had so much going on in my little body, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. There was a lot of confusion, a lot of anguish, a lot of things I just didn't know how to deal with, so I took it out by being very angry with my family. Not all kids or people who live in areas of no or little light during the year have seasonal change challenges, but I did. That, on top of the abuse, made the seasonal change, specifically from summer to fall, dangerous for me. I also struggled at other times during the year, like when the sun came back in January and February. Interestingly enough, I'm not alone. The times in which people die by suicide in Arctic regions are not highest during the darkest times, but the transitional times, from light to dark and then again from dark to light. Neither dark nor light is good or bad. It's our wiring as humans that makes us vulnerable to the change, seasonal or otherwise. Today, I live in a climate that doesn't trigger as much pain physically, emotionally, or spiritually. And I don't feel the depression, anger, and think suicidal thoughts nearly as much as I did when I was a kid. I worked hard to become better, and I am. 
still working through, but balanced and rooted. So back to time. There are likely more ways outside of how we currently understand time that exist, but linear, multi-active, and cyclical form a decent framework for now. Okay, so how do our understandings of time play into colonization? Colonization, as we, creative decolonization, understand it, is the systemic oppression of all aspects of life for certain people by other people in power for the benefit of few. So how does time fit into that? I'm particularly drawn to this explanation by G. Nanny in their 2006 thesis with the University of Melbourne. Quote, In the British colonies, the portrayal of indigenous societies as being timeless, that is, culturally lacking regularity, order, and uniformity, came to operate as a means of constructing an inferior, irregular other. Such apparent inferiority, this thesis argues, bolstered the depiction of indigenous societies as culturally inadequate, a representation that helped to rationalize and justify settler colonialism's claims upon indigenous land. My people, the Anubak people, have actively resisted this to this day. We will not be rushed. I share with people interested in working with indigenous communities that their most valuable resource is time, patience, to not rush people. Fun fact. Did you know your very own handwriting reveals how you orient time? Interesting research highlighted in a recent PopSci article showed that when asked to organize events in a line from earliest to latest, English readers arranged them from left to right, linear, Arabic right to left, reflective, and Chinese top to bottom, cyclical. People without writing systems like Papua New Guinea's Yupno had a freeform approach, otherwise multi-active. Since how we understand time is culturally learned, it's influenced by other aspects in our surroundings, like the land we live on and see. From the same PopSci article, quote, Papua New Guinea's hilly landscape has helped shape the indigenous Yupno's people's perception of time. To them, the future is uphill and the past is down. Time seems to come to us head on, the future in front, the past behind. Not so for the Aymara people of the Andes, because the past is what they have experienced. It lies ahead, where they can see it. The future remains hidden, so it is behind them. I think that is so cool. I just love that connection between land, time, and language. Okay. So what if you don't like your relationship with time? What can you do? You can decolonize it. In order to understand decolonization, I'm going to share insight I agree with from Ishel Lunar, a self-identified decolonial time mender. In a Pause and Play podcast episode, they say, quote, colonization is fundamentally the separation of people, place, and land. And decolonizing is a way of getting back in relationship with the land at its essential place, but also with other people and time itself. This is in line with how we as creative decolonization understand it. Decolonization is an education and practice focused on reuniting the self and community with holistic and self-empowering opportunities to heal. 
and you know land and language and time have integral parts in the healing process for any person who wants to decolonize themselves. So what's the first step in decolonizing your relationship to time? It's seeing fully the ways that time doesn't work for you and embracing what you see that does. I love this quote from the book, The Order of Time by Carlo Rovelli. They say, we inhabit time as fish live in water. Our being is being in time, end quote. So let's be fish for a moment. Time is water and water is everywhere. How do you not get caught up in whatever current of time comes your way? Sometimes the current may be gentle, like the passing of time when with well-known friends. Other times it may be rough, like when you are suddenly let go from a job or when a family crisis hits. Other times you may not even feel like you are in the water. So let's explore this idea a bit more. Here are some questions to ponder. If you believe time only serves one purpose, such as a medium in which to make money or become better, how you experience the current of time may feel crunched and too small, like a shrunken, itchy sweater. Time not spent making money or progress is wasted. This is the fabric of the itchy sweater. How do you make that space feel better? What can you do to not feel crunched? If you believe time is multi-active and the quote right time end quote only comes at a certain time, how do you recognize it? For instance, when should you cut off a phone call that goes too long? even if it has some benefit to human relationships. How do you balance many competing priorities if you are doing many things at once? If you believe time is cyclical, how do you stay motivated? If everything comes back around, what is the purpose of action? The answers to these questions are complex and varied, depending on the person answering them but I do have some general responses that might help you get started. If you'd appreciate something more detailed and specific to you or your community, including dialogue, more research, and useful creative engagement, please contact me. I do workshops and coaching sessions. Okay, so I have four points that build upon each other. One, you are your own time architect. If you don't like your time home, It's up to you to rebuild it. And you definitely can, you inherently creative and resilient human being. Number two, self-awareness is the tool you need to rebuild the time home you live in. It's also a great tool for recognizing and practicing new boundary setting, such as when to excuse yourself from a call or meeting, when your time is really needed elsewhere. Number three, Inner work on how you use time is necessary to build the time home you'd like to live in. And inner work is not driven by anyone but yourself or anything but yourself. It may be encouraged or even triggered by family, coworkers, environmental disasters, or otherwise. But the person doing the inner work has to want to do it 
Otherwise, they'd likely push the trigger away or blame the person who made them feel that way so they didn't have to face what they really feel, which has everything to do with themselves and not the trigger. Last thing, you are your best healer. As long as you listen to, trust, and respond to the voice of your fundamental self. Your fundamental self is something only you can know and feel. But being your building block, so to speak, will always direct you towards healing and becoming better. It will never encourage behaviors or thoughts that hurt you in unhealthy ways. If unhealthy hurt sounds funny, think of this healthy hurt. When a doctor has to reset your broken leg, it's necessary to heal and it hurts. Okay, folks, that's it for now. If you want to look at region's specific cultural understandings of time, I encourage you to do so. The culturallymodified.org article I mentioned earlier in the episode, How Different Cultures Understand Time, includes a whole host of examples from Japan to Madagascar and America. I also recommend How Different Cultures Understand Time from the Lote Agency and the PopSci article mentioned a few times earlier in this episode, both also linked in the notes. Before I go, I want to go down an interesting tangential rabbit hole like I did while researching this episode, just for a second. Okay, check out the articles I link about the Paraha tribe from the Amazon jungle. They don't have a counting system, yet can understand large quantities and have an entire part of their language that only uses whistles. Another cool thing is that their language is not recursive. You know how you can say, Auntie went to the store, but you can also say, Auntie went to the store and got potatoes. And also, Auntie went to the store and got potatoes earlier today. That's an example of recursive communication, when you embed things that could be sentences and clauses into other sentences. Linguists didn't think human language existed without this until the Paraha. And I gotta say, coming from an indigenous culture in which much can be said with little, I get this. Something I also love is that they have resisted becoming polylingual because they consider all of their languages not to be as good as their own. Because of this, their very unique language is living today with less than 300 speakers. Go them. Big thanks to these artists on Pixabay for the use of these songs sampled throughout this episode. Alexi Action for Background Trap, Penguin for Better Day, and Ambient Play Sounds for Inspired. Also big thanks to Benjamin Tissett from bensound.com for the use of their song, Dreams. This episode was pondered, written, researched, fact-checked, produced, edited, and published by me, Aluk Edwardson, for Creative Decolonization. I hope it was useful. Until next time, with kindness.